When I was uh, just a, a little boy growing up in Midland, Texas, my granddad Whitmire came to the house one day and, and gave me a, a gift. It was his old wristwatch. Gran had bought him a new one, and so he was handing his wristwatch down to me. It, it really wasn't an expensive one. It was just an old Timex. But you know what they used to say about Timex watches? They can take a licking and keep on ticking. Exactly. And so that became one of my prized possessions. He told me this when he gave it to me. He said, son, you've got to wind it every day. And if you do, it'll keep good time. Well, it did. Every day when I got up in the morning, I would wind that wrist watch until one day it quit working. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it, so I took it to my dad, and after a careful examination, he explained to me that I had wound it too tightly. And I'm sorry to say, it never worked again, all right? Perhaps some of you feel like my old watch today. We just keep twisting ourselves in frantic circles until we wind ourselves too tightly. And then, like my watch, we don't work properly anymore. One day a few years ago, I found that I was as tight as a coiled spring. I mean, apparently you could see it in my face. And so my wife just told me to relax. She said, Will, you need to relax. And I muttered something back to her, and she said it again. You need to relax. And then I blurted out, I don't know how to relax. And that was my problem. It was then that I realized I needed to learn the fine art of relaxation. Because how can one withstand the pressures of life if he doesn't know how to relax? Are you with me? This morning's sermon is from the book of Psalm 46, and it's on how to relax. Well, soon after that, I developed a new little motto. It's, just, it's simply the motto of relax. In fact, I've got a picture to show you how I just kind of relate that to to life. There, there I am. Man, I, can you see it in my face? I'm just, I'm relaxing. I love that. And so I, I sent that photo to my family members, and I got this text back from Whitney, who is here today. She said, LOL. I still don't know what that means, but I just laugh when I see it. LOL. Here's what she said. I can tell by your white knuckles on the pillow it's working. Well, thanks for being so observant, Whitney. I, I appreciate that. It, it's really a joke in my family. I, I'm honest. I, I really don't know how to relax. It, we all live under pressure, don't we? And there's no way you can escape the pressure that you live under. Pressure, however, in and of itself is not really a bad thing. If you don't have water pressure in the pipe, you're not going to have a flow at the faucet. If there is not pressure on coal and rock under the ground, you're not going to have diamonds. Which, let me remind you, men are a girl's what? Best friend. A 10-year study by the University of Chicago found that most business executives welcome pressure because it adds challenge and variety to their work. Well, just this past week, I was reading an article written by a preacher to preachers, and it stated that most of us preachers enjoy a little bit of pressure daily because it helps keep us sharp. But here's the deal. 
When pressure becomes too great, it turns into stress. And when stress becomes too great, it turns into distress. Some time ago, a newspaper article quoted a well-known psychologist who said that stress comes to us basically in four different ways into our life. And I know he was right because I have felt all four of these stresses in my life. The first is time stress. This is the feeling of frustration that comes when you have more to do than you can get done in a lot of time. Come on, you're going to have to help me this morning. Have you ever felt time stress? Yeah, I feel it almost every day. Second stress is anticipatory stress. This is just flat out worry, okay? This is what this is. It's just worry. We anticipate things that might happen. We anticipate problems that just could occur. And so we get so frazzled and so stressed out over what might happen that we don't have enough strength to deal with what's happening right now. Anticipatory stress. Any of you guilty of that? Well, raise your hand if your spouse is. Okay, There you go. And now we're talking. Number three, there is situational stress, which comes from circumstances that crash in around us. Sometimes we don't even cause these circumstances, but they come up on us. They are situational stress moments in our life. And then number four is encounter stress. This is caused by people who are giving us problems. You know them. Some people, some people, listen to me, some people want their problems to be your problems. And you know that about them. So when you see them coming, you, you hightail it out of there, man. Encounter stress. Christian psychologist Gary Collins, who I studied when I was in college and seminary, tells us that these pressures can hurt us in four different ways. First of all, they can hurt us physically. We develop ulcers and headaches and we have back problems and heart problems. We get a twitch in our eye. Somebody in this room has one. That's why I'm saying that. We get a twitch in our eye or a cold sore on our lip. Physically, stress can be devastating on us. And if you don't get a grip on it, it can destroy you physically. Gary says, number two, there are psychological problems that come along with overstress. Our thoughts and our feelings get shredded or they get frazzled, and we just can't deal with life mentally any longer. Number three, socially. We become sharp and irritable with other people, and usually we take it out on the people who are closest to us. And we don't take the time to develop friendships and relationships because we are just too stressed out. You know what, can I tell you what it does? It makes us not like people. Are you still there? Yeah. And then number four, probably worst of all, Gary Collins says it causes spiritual damage. We become so trapped by the whipping whirlwind of life that we don't cultivate our own souls and we don't take time to develop and strengthen that relationship that is most necessary, and that is with God. So how do we cope with all of it? Someone has observed that there are over 10,000 different 
counseling techniques in use today. You can find hundreds of books and thousands of articles suggesting methods of ways to cope with 20th century living. Now, much of it is obvious. If you go to the doctor, he's going to tell you to do three things. He's going to tell you to get proper exercise. You need to be able to vent these emotions, and exercise can help you do that. It will help you physically if you exercise. Number two, he's going to tell you to get a proper diet, eat the right things at the right time. And then number three, he's going to tell you to get plenty of rest. You need at least seven to eight hours of good sleep every night. Those things, in fact, are even endorsed by Scripture. God made us to need proper exercise, nutrition, and rest. But you know what, church? Our ability to relax depends upon a whole lot more than just that. For essentially, what I am talking about today is a spiritual thing. What I'm talking about is a matter of the soul. There are several words for relaxation in the Bible. A common word is rest. In fact, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Biblical relaxation. Another word the Bible uses is the word still, S-T-I-L-L. When Jesus quieted the storm on Galilee, he said, Peace be still. When Moses and the children of Israel were trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, God said, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. During World War II, there was an old hymn that was constantly sang from shore to shore in the churches of America. It simply said, be still, my soul, the Lord is on my side. Well, the writer of Psalms 46 put it simply like this. He said, be still and know that I am God. And I really can't think of a better way to say it than that. Just be still, chill out, relax, and understand that God is God. And he's got everything in control. Most people believe that Psalms 46 was written just after God saved Jerusalem from Sennacherib during the days of King Hezekiah. The mighty king of Assyria, Sennacherib, had invaded Israel and he had surrounded Jerusalem with the most bloodthirsty army on the face of the earth and they were ready for the kill. King Hezekiah's people were trapped in the doomed city. With nothing else to do, they prayed. They prayed to God. In fact, I love it. King Hezekiah actually went into the temple and the Bible said he laid it out before the Lord. And he prayed for deliverance. Well, God delivered them. God sent an angel. And the very next morning, the corpses of 185,000 enemy soldiers littered the Judean landscape. God came through. God delivered. And many Bible scholars believe that this psalm was written on that very day of deliverance. And the people of Israel saying it to the Lord. Psalms 46 is one of my favorite. I told the people in the first service, I have preached at least a dozen sermons from Psalms 46. This is a different one today. I'm really only going to deal with verse number one. But let me read the whole psalm to you. Can we do that? (laughs) 
Beg me. It doesn't matter if you want it or not, I'm going to read it. Because this is an awesome passage of Scripture. Understand, remember the story. The Israelites had been trapped. They were doomed. The Assyrian army was about to destroy them. They prayed to God. What did God do? He came through. And just before the break of day, just before the next morning, God annihilated the Assyrian army. So think about that when I read. The psalmist says, God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah, which is a Hebrew word which means there. What do you think about that? Verse number four, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. Here it is. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. That is, the God of the heavenly armies is with us. The God of Jacob. That was the one who had a twist in him, the deceiver. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. There. What do you think about that? And may the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let me go back to verse 1. Because in the first verse of this psalm... It expresses the condition of the contented soul. That is the heart which is learning this fine art of biblical relaxation. And in order to relax, number one, you've got to know that God is our security. The psalmist said in verse 1, God is our refuge. You see, the walls of Jerusalem meant to protect the people now only trapped the people. The armies of Jerusalem meant to defend the people were now letting them down. They had no recourse. They had no refuge. They had no hope. There was only one place of hiding. There was only one place of safety. And it was in God himself. God and God alone is our refuge. The, the Hebrew word translated refuge simply means a place of safety. It was used by both Isaiah and Job to describe a shelter in the times of terrible storms and driving rain. It was sometimes used in Scripture to describe a, a crevice in a cave-riddled mountain where a despairing fugitive would grab a couple of hours of sleep in safety. Several years ago, in fact, I think I was a teenager, a young man, when Ralph Nader wrote this book about a car. Anybody, can y'all remember Ralph Nader? He wrote, 
I don't know what he had against this particular car, but he didn't like this car. And so he wrote this book entitled, Unsafe at Any Speed. And after that, the, the, they quit making the car because he, he made such a big deal about it. I, I don't know what, the, I think the car was a cool car, you know. I don't know what his beef was with that car, but I love the title of his book, Unsafe at Any Speed. Because that's pretty much a good description of life, church. This world is not a safe place. Would y'all wake up just for a second? This world isn't a safe place. There's nothing safe about it. You can leave this building today and drive home and be killed on the road. You can be mugged in a parking lot. You can be fired from your job, divorced by your spouse, rejected by your children, ruined by your creditors. You can be eaten alive by cancer. This world is not a safe place. But there is one place of absolute security that you can be cradled in in perfect peace, and that is in the arms of God. I can tell you, church, you can, you can clap about that. It is in Christ and Christ alone that we find refuge. So I've got to ask you, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you invited Jesus into your heart? Have you committed your life to Him? Do you know the security that only comes from a deep and daily relationship with God through Jesus Christ? I tell you, he can be our security, but you've got to know him personally. How can we relax? Number one, God is, God is our security. Number two, God is our strength. Look at the verse. God is our refuge and our strength. I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of times in my life when I wasn't sure I had the strength to go on. Anybody been there? You just don't know if you can make it. You don't know if you can make it another mile, another day. There have been times I've gotten on my face before God and say, God, I can't do this another day. I can't go on. It can't get any worse than this, Lord. I can't do it. And you know what would happen? The next day it'd get worse. <laughs> and you cry out to God, I, can't, I don't have the strength to go on. Well, if you've ever felt that way, don't feel alone. Because the rest of you are right there, rest of us are right there with you. In fact, the mighty men and women of biblical faith experience the same kind of faltering spirit that we have when we say we don't think we have the strength to go on. The writer of Psalms 88 said it like this I am a man without strength. Solomon wrote, If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Jeremiah once groaned, my strength and my hope have perished. Paul told the Christians at Corinth that his problems had pressed him beyond his strength to endure them, insomuch that he despaired even his own life. Maybe it's not gotten that bad for you, but you can identify with Paul, what Paul was saying. You, you, you just don't think you have the strength to go on. And let me tell you, in and of yourself, you don't. You can't make it. 
This world is too tough and life is too hard. You can't make it on your own strength. But can I tell you what the Bible says? Can I give you some Bible verses that you can hang on to today that talk about the strength of God? I love what Habakkuk 3.19 says, The sovereign Lord is our strength. Or how about Nehemiah 8.10, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Isaiah 41.10, God said, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. Yes, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will hold you up in my righteous hand. you got to love Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 29.11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord blesses his people with strength. In Ephesians 3.16, Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner man. And then I love Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But maybe my favorite was one I learned when I was a kid. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. It says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Guys, let me tell you, the strength that we need for daily living flows through a deep and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. But you've got to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know what it means to have your strength renewed day by day? And can I give you a little secret? That's the way God does it. He doesn't send you enough strength for the week or for the month. And he's not going to give you strength for tomorrow. He's going to give you strength for today. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. (laughs) We ask for it, he gives it to us. So how in the world can we relax? Well, we got to understand that God is our security. He is our refuge. But number two, God is our strength. He'll give us the ability to live life. But the most important one is number three. You need to understand that God is your Savior. Look at verse 1 again. God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. You see, church, when Jesus died and rose again, he provided himself as our ever-present help. Let me put it like this. He redeems our souls, giving us eternal life. He redeems our sorrows, giving us a peace that passes all understanding. He redeems our situations, causing us to cast all things on his feet and causing all things to work out for good to those who love him. He is our ever-present Savior who helps us in all of our troubles. He helps us in all of our troubles. 
Dick and Margaret Hillis were missionaries in China during the war years. They barely escaped with their lives when the Japanese invaded China, but after VJ Day, expecting stability to return to China, they returned with their four children to the Honan province. But it soon became apparent to the Hillises that stability had not come to China. In fact, it was anything but stability. The war really had just begun. Dick Hillis found his family literally caught in the crossfire. One night, they became horribly trapped in their little village. Their house was actually bombed. And so Dick and Margaret took their four children and hid them in a tiny closet. And they waited out the long hours of the night, hearing bombs going off and hearing guns being fired. Dick really thought this was the end. He knew in his spirit that that night was going to be their last night alive. And so listen to me, parents. He tried to the best of his ability to prepare his four children for the inevitable death. He told them the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And after telling them that story, he turned to his young son, John, and he said, You know, John... We might meet Daniel in heaven tonight. John, what if, what if we run into Daniel in heaven tonight? What would you, John, say to Daniel? And without hesitation, little John said, Well, I would tell Daniel that the same God who protected him in the lion's den protected us in the war. Dick said, Suddenly the shelling stopped. The gunfire ceased. They took the kids out of the closet and uh, cleared the debris and the glass off of the bottom floor of their home and they made makeshift beds for their kids. As Dick was tucking in his little daughter, Margaret Ann, he noticed a crumpled up piece of paper under her pillow. And so he pulled it out and opened it and there, in first grade penmanship, were these words that little Margaret Ann had written herself. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Church, there was a little bitty girl sleeping on a mighty big promise from her God. He is our Savior. He's our Deliverer. And He is the only one who can. So, if you need to learn the fine art of relaxation, let me suggest that you do what your doctor tells you to do. Get some exercise. Eat the right food at the right time. And try to get some sleep tonight. But even more than that, you need to learn to cultivate your inner spirit. You need to take time to pray and meditate. Take time for Bible study. Take time to develop your friendship with your family and also your faith in the one who is your security, the one who is your strength, and the one who is your Savior. You will never be physically relaxed until you are spiritually renewed.
And so at the end of this psalm, here's what God said. Be still. The actual Hebrew word means let your hands hang low. (laughs) Instead of throwing them up in frustration or doing all you can to solve the problem, God said, be still. Chill out. Relax. And know that I am God. He said, I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. And I'm still working on it. I'm not a very good relaxer yet. But I can tell you this, church. I do a lot better at relaxing when I just turn everything over to him. And I am still in his arms.